This week on Mobile First, a conversation with Mina Aiken, head of customer experience at Taylor Stitch. That's what I look for when I hire. Like, can you be professional, but also be a real human at the same time? Mm-hmm. Think what what makes our customer experience team pretty successful is we treat our customers like family and we share insights with them. We're super knowledgeable about our product. We're transparent about problems, which a lot of support teams are very hesitant to be. Welcome to Mobile First. You'll find bonus tools, expanded information, and key takeaways from this episode on our website, EmergeMobileFirst.com. For a quick and effective way to level up your mobile strategy, again, that's EmergeMobileFirst.com. In this episode, we explore Taylor Stitch with our guest, Mina Aiken, head of customer experience at Taylor Stitch. Mina shares her passion for the story behind a product or service to gain someone's trust and how that led her to the field of brand development. We dig into her lead role in Taylor Stitch's customer experience department, how the company grew after she joined, and the focuses of her and her team on a day-to-day basis. All this with a heavy emphasis on how Taylor Stitch is going digital and managing their e-commerce experience. To introduce our guest today, Mina Aiken is the head of customer experience at Taylor Stitch, where she focuses on creating the most humanized online shopping experience possible. Mina oversees all e-commerce customer service and 3PL logistics. She believes that educating your customer and telling a brand story in an inclusive way makes for a happier individual and a lifetime value customer. Mina, thanks for joining us today. Really excited to have you here. Thanks so much, Jordan. I'm so psyched to be here. So Mina, we will definitely dig into your professional insights, but how about you tell us a little bit more about yourself personally? Sure. So I live in San Francisco and uh, I've been working for Taylor Stitch for a little over two years. I love what I do. It's a pretty small team. We're pretty tight knit, kind of like a family. In my free time, I do a lot of art. I've actually been designing a lot of wedding invitations and stationery recently for friends who are coming around to getting married. I kind of also just got into woodworking and I've been learning to make websites through this awesome web design program through General Assembly. So that's been super fun. And of course, I mean, living in the Bay Area, I try to spend as much time outside as possible. I grew up in Florida, so sunshine is like in my DNA. Nice. Yeah. We're out here in Portland, Oregon. So when the sun comes out, we have to go outside because it doesn't, it's followed by rain typically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah. Really excited to do a deep dive and see what wisdom we can pull from your experience just because you have a really diverse background and, and you got some exciting things going on at Taylor Stitch. So are uh, you ready to let the class begin? Yeah. Let's let it rip. Let's let it rip. So, it, you know, at what point in your life did you become interested in customer experience and, and brand development? I was interested in working with people from a really young age. My first jobs were in high school in the restaurant industry. I was spending the summers working in this kind of chic restaurant in my town where all my parents' friends were in and out. And I kind of also grew up being one of those kids who loved talking to adults. So working that kind of crowd came really naturally to me. It was like 14, 15 when I realized that I got such a kick out of doing something that surprised and delighted someone. And uh, I guess I kind of got addicted to that feeling of gratification and 
customer service and hospitality has stuck with me ever since. But with regard to brand development, I've always loved provenance. I studied a lot of history, particularly art history in college, and I'm so fascinated by the story that lies behind something. I think it's such an important touch point in a relationship with a customer, telling that story behind a product or service you're promoting and really gaining someone's trust that way. You really draw someone in and you kind of include them in that story. It's been especially prevalent at Taylor Stitches we've been so rapidly developing over the last two, three years. Everybody kind of wants to be part of something cool. And as you start a brand with an idea and you develop an audience around that, your audience adds to that idea and fuels the fire and you watch this thing you started really take off and grow. It's what I've seen at really well-established businesses like this hotel in DC I used to work for, but also here at Taylor Stitch. Awesome. Yeah. And and I was going to ask you, you know, of these areas, what fascinates you the most of the provenance and and including the customer in in the narrative really and, and making, allowing them to own it of these different things that you touch, what is that one thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? (laughs) Like a lot of things. It's so hard to say, (laughs) but um, I think (laughs) Taylor Stitch is comprised of only 20 or so people total and 15 in our headquarters. We're all super close and we all have each other's backs in such an amazing way. And it's a very exciting time to be in e-commerce, especially here in the Bay Area where it's taking off so quickly. Our team is really high energy and laser focused, and it's super motivating to be in an environment like that. It's unlike any place I've ever worked before. My team is awesome, and our customers are first class, and, but it's by no means a cakewalk. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of the heart that makes it great, right? Yeah, definitely. I can relate. So I guess what led you to be, you know, in, in your position, the head of customer experience at Taylor Stitch? I'll start at the the beginning-ish. I came to San Francisco after having left my job at this hotel in DC, and I knew I wanted to stay in the realm of customer service and hospitality, but I really wanted to be in a different industry, and I've always been drawn to clothing. It was my thing when I was really little, and I'd never heard of Taylor Stitch when I got here. A friend's dad actually introduced me to this awesome guy by the name of Andy Forch, who co-founded Huckberry, which is an outdoor curated online retailer. Mm. And uh, we actually share an office with Huckberry. And I had coffee with Andy like a couple days after I moved here. And he introduced me to Taylor Stitch. And he mentioned like, oh, these guys need someone to do all their customer service. And at the time, it was just one person because we were much smaller. So I applied for that job on a Friday. And the following Monday morning, I got an email from one of our co-founders, Barrett, who invited me to have lunch with him. And I was like offered the job over pad thai. (laughs) Nice. When I was hired, I was the only customer service person for about a year. And the company grew so quickly in such a small amount of time that now I have three people on my team. Awesome. And so what are are some of the things that you focus on then, you specifically, but then also your team, you know, for Taylor Stitch? The main focus here is always making people happy and solving their problems when issues arise. Like every step we take is deliberately pointed at making the customer happy and making an awesome experience for them. Being proactive is a huge part of that. And we always try to be a step ahead of our customers. I think most of the time we are. 
but we're always learning because this thing is growing so quickly. When you're the customer, there's, there's, it's so cool when somebody else does the legwork for you and gives you something you didn't even know you wanted. Mm-hmm. And like, the main goal here. And with e-commerce retail becoming more widely used, we're really trying to make the tailor stitch online shopping experience as personal and humanized as possible. So when you say when the customer gives you something that you didn't know you wanted, can you give me an example of that or, or I guess a story of maybe how they've done that and it was kind of like an aha moment for you? Sure. I think the first time I really figured out how cool that was and sort of the power I had to do that was I was chatting with this one customer about, he was a new customer and he's one of our very best customers now. This was maybe a year and a half ago. We were talking on the live chat about an exchange he wanted to make. And at the time, we were not operating on the business model we had right now. Our inventory was super limited. And there happened to be for this one particular customer, a lot of items that we didn't have in stock that he wanted to try and exchange an order for. And I ended up recommending to him this product that I thought maybe he would like based on the products that he'd bought previously. I think maybe he'd only purchased two or three times at the time. And he sort of took a chance. was like, I don't know, this, this jacket isn't really my style, but like you say it's cool. Like I'll give it a shot. It totally opened up his world to the, like all of the different things he could wear. And I think he was this guy who like, wasn't the most well-dressed guy, like didn't really dabble in fashion, like never really (laughs) paid too much attention to what he wore. Like every guy. But his wardrobe just took off with every Taylor Stitch item you could get his hands on because he was just like, wow, these clothes are, this is the clothing that I can wear comfortably and in like any setting. It transitions from my work life to my personal life. And it fits and it goes with me. And the person who I'm asking for help, like knows what she's talking about. And she'll Mm -hmm. always like, she seems to know what I want. And she'll always like be honest with me. There have been times since where he's been like, I was kind of thinking about trying this item. And I'll be like, not Ryan, that's not for you. You don't want that. (laughs) (laughs) It's made it bleed all over your like, natural canvas pants you don't want to go that way and he'll be like okay that's really cool well it, it seems like you know some of the things that make you great is you're you're very open to learning and you really rely on that that feedback to inform really what that next action is and, and what these initiatives needs to be and it sounds like from your background of just loving to converse with people and really listen allows you to be great I guess, is there any other attribute that you would like to add that, that makes you great and gives you your unique perspective? I think you kind of hit it, the nail on the head there. I think my personality is, and how that comes through and how I interact with customers is probably the thing that sets me up for the most success. And that's what I look for when I hire. Like, can you be professional, but also be a real human at the same time? Mm-hmm. I think what, what makes our customer experience team pretty successful is we treat our customers like family and we share insights with them. We're super knowledgeable about our product. We're transparent about problems, which a lot of support teams are very hesitant to be. And we just, we lay it all out there. We're like, look, we made a mistake. We want to do whatever it takes to make you happy. 
Well, yeah, I really, I really love your, your perspective. And it really shows true that the approach being humanized and really just creating a humanized experience is, is really one of the main focuses for you in your role and for Taylor Stitch. And so I'm really excited to see now that we have this context uh, from your perspective, you know, how that is going to relay into your understanding of just these changes that are taking place in the industry and really the, the initiatives that, that you guys are working on. So from your perspective, what have been the biggest changes in the industry uh, that you have experienced? Well, the majority of like all the information we take in on a daily basis is digital now. And over the last two years, we made a really big push at Taylor Stitch to focus on the e-commerce experience. Taylor Stitch was founded in 2008. So for the first five years of the company's existence, so much effective grassroots work was done to establish a community in San Francisco in our brick and mortar store. I think everything in retail really changed when online retailers like Amazon were able to provide people with the power of buying whatever they wanted and receiving it in a guaranteed, shockingly fast and accurate timetable. And then at the same time, you had Zappos adopting a similar fulfillment style, but adding in a formula for customer service at scale. Hmm. So people expect to get what they want like yesterday when they buy something online <laughs> and, yeah. and they want to be able to talk to a real human if they ever have a question. So fully embracing e-commerce for us over the last few years has been a really cool thing. We've allowed ourselves to open our business up globally in a very real way. But the next big change going forward is like, how do you make that experience really personal to somebody you know, in Australia? Right. And that kind of leads into the next question that I had is, with humanizing this, and you even brought up uh, Zappos and going from brick to click, essentially, yeah. you know, we're experiencing this big shift in retail, uh, creating this cohesive omni-channel brand strategy, and and so that you're not eliminating that physical human experience, but you're you're really enhancing it and supplementing it with with these various digital channels. And it's it's interesting because the co- the components of omni-channel themselves are shifting with these various digital products like the memory mirror within the store or, you know, mobile apps outside of the store leading into the store. You know, so I'm very curious, you know, what you think when you think of omnichannel, you know, what are those components that, that you identify as the ones that are key to retail? So the omnichannel concept encompasses like a lot of things, as you mentioned, but I think the most important thing in terms of your online branding and selling is delivering a an extremely consistent message across all the platforms you might choose to use. You want to keep your brand message and shopping experience the exact same. We've experimented in selling across more channels than just our website. And from what I've seen in these instances is we can't always control the customer experience as we can if we're selling through our own channel. An alternate shopping platform might take the buying and return experience, for example, into their own hands most of the time, which disconnects you from your customer. And the most important thing in e-commerce, I mean, in retail in general, is making your customer feel as though they're connected to the brand at all times and establishing that trust. Interesting. Have you been a part of any um, projects where like, you've seen that done successfully, where you've been able to keep them, where that cohesive brand message is really transition from the experience from one place to another? You know, not not yet. There are some things that we are considering at the moment, which I won't disclose, but I'll admit that it's 
our e-commerce business model as it stands right now is still very fresh and new to us and is constantly evolving and developing at a, like a very high speed rate. And there are a few things like our brand message and like our buying platform that we're very afraid of putting in someone else's hands because it is such a unique business model and there's a very specific way that we talk about it. So we haven't gone that route yet, but we have tried selling through a couple of third-party single shopping destinations that sell hundreds of other brands. But we've found that if a customer purchases through this channel, they're predominantly in the hands of that site's customer support team. So if a customer ever has a question about their order, they'll have to go through a support team that's not ours. And oftentimes, like that just leads to a time lapse in how long it can take for a customer to get the answer that they need. So we try, we've been trying to streamline that experience like through our channel as much as possible. But we also know that kind of to open the, the floodgates and make you know, offer a really flexible buying experience for a lot of customers who want to use different channels to shop, who maybe want to buy from a lot of brands in the same cart. We're going to have to figure out, you know, how we form those partnerships with other selling sites and how we keep that brand message really tight. Gotcha. Yeah. And, you know, from other conversations, that's, that's definitely a pain point that's wide across the industry. And everyone's trying to figure it out and making moves to figuring it out and piloting things and, you know, experimenting. In your experience, have you came across any brands that, you know, iconic brands or, or anyone that's, that's really done a really cool thing and done a really good job at, at trying to attack that? Just to clarify, like engaging on multiple channels? Yeah, engaging on multiple channels or just kind of unique initiatives for, for doing that, for keeping that, that message cohesive across the various channels, even with this different distributors and things. Good question. And it's okay if you can't think of anything. I remember you were you know, bringing up Zappos as a really great e-commerce platform. And I was just curious if right off the top of your head, if, you, if there's like one or two that stuck out. But if, if not, that's totally fine. No, not really. Okay. Yeah, no, no big deal. Beyond you know, engaging on these multiple channels and, and having that cohesive experience, are, are there other pain points that you've noticed for various brands or, or just kind of for the industry as a whole? Other kind of rubs that, that are making it difficult or that need to be addressed for the customer experience? Yeah, you know, this is kind of a specific, might be a more specific example than one that you're looking for. But the more I learn about this industry, the more I see that both on the customer facing side and on the back end business and logistics side, returns can actually be a major point of struggle. And there, can, there are a lot of points to consider there, especially for the customer. Like, that impact whether you're willing to buy or not. I mean, you can start with just what your return policy is. How easy is it for the customer to engage? Is it too easy? That policy is a huge factor in whether you want to buy or not. Do you offer return shipping? Is there a restocking fee? And then from the business side of things, like if you struggle with too many returns or you make a return process too easy for a customer, is that number going to inflate? Do you lose money in some way on return shipping if you offer free return shipping? And then if you're struggling with that, like, how do you change that? How do you make the decisions that are best for your business? But also like, how do you manage customers' expectations? It's something that I see is different across a lot of different retailers. Hmm. Seems like there's not really one formula right now on the back end that works 
for everyone. Returns can look like a really easy thing on the front end to a customer, but then you always sort of take some hits as a business in making right. those so easy. But it's something that my team spends a lot of time trying to improve and perfect. Interesting. So it sounds like there's really two things there, the, the business logistics piece of it, and then, oh, really, there's maybe three, the logistics, and then the business decision and the impact, and then the customer service, and really balancing all three of those. Where have you seen the biggest emphasis make the biggest impact? I think on the customer service side, sort of twofold. One, you make the process as approachable and easy as possible for the customer. That's really important. But then I think that you have to also be very present in the customer service that you're providing. Like you got to be right there saying, if you have any questions, if you need any help, we're here to help. Here's how to get in touch with us. Because most of the time, a customer doesn't want to go digging through a website to try and find like a returns form or a return address or what's a return policy. Like for some reason, those, you don't, as a business, you don't want to tell people how you can, how they can return an item because it's like, no, pay for the item, please keep it. (laughs) But as a customer, you're like, no, I want to know, like there's some risk here. I am buying this product that I've never seen in person. And I want to know like, if I don't like it, how easy is it for for me to send it back? I would say that that's probably the most upfront, important point of contention to iron out as a brand and as a retailer. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's very interesting. And that's definitely, uh, it's very easy to relate to, you know, just in purchasing in general. Have you experienced an experience that has nailed that before? Or there's, there's specific things across different return experiences that, that you've liked or didn't like? I'll use a really recent example. I most recently made a purchase on a, cons- a high-end consignment website called The Real Real. Mm-hmm. They're b- based just across the bridge in Marin, but they shipped my order in two installments, which is fine. Like that happens. And they were very informative about like the fulfillment time, and all of that so that I knew when I could expect my items to arrive. But I also know for a fact that the real reels, since it's consignment, their return time frame is super tight and they have all kinds of restrictions on that. What I am not always so psyched about when I purchase with them is I can never really be entirely sure whether what I'm buying is returnable or not. There's always that risk, which makes me a little uneasy. But I also know that if I ever do want to return an item, it's really easy to do it myself and then track money coming back to me. Um, they've built out a really nice backend customer account section of their website where you can very easily see your order history, when an item arrived to you, when you initiated a return, and when that return was And that sort of whole process came full circle for you as the customer. So I think like being able to show people that information is sort of added security, not only like for you as a brand, but for you as a customer. But I think that is also like, at least from what I've seen and trying to build something out like that on our back end, it's very, it's not easy at all. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's, it's shown in various industries too. Like 
I don't know if you heard of the, the Domino's app where you can track, well, when you order, it shows the tracking going through the various stages of creating the pizza and delivering it. That was one of the first use cases of that sort of tracking feature in, in a different industry like that. Yeah, I have heard of that. It's pretty cool. If I ordered Domino's, I'd be, you know, avidly watching that. The, the funny thing is, it's actually not integrated with anything. So what they've done is they just take the, the typical time to make a pizza and what it is to deliver and they average that out and then they just break it down. So it's not actually, you know, the, the, the guy making the pizza isn't actually like clocking in or Real I'm, time. Adding, yeah, I'm not adding the cheese right now and then it's done adding the cheese sort of thing. It's funny because it's on the back end, there's really nothing that's, that's creating it. But then for the customer experience, it's, it creates that feeling of transparency. Awesome illusion. Yeah, exactly. But you can totally do things on the back end, especially uh, with retail and where there's a lot more logistics taking place that you can track. But yeah, just a good, a good example there. You know, with talking about these different technologies that are enabling these different experiences. So the, the, the tracking example is, is a great one that you just did uh, for how that enables a better customer experience and, and a more transparent experience. How is the major uptake in the mobile experience influence the industry from your perspective? I mean, it's done amazing things for the industry. You can view product whenever you want and share it with your friends. And, you know, if you have service out on a campsite, you can shop on our website. Like, it's so cool. It's a, a great user experience on mobile opens a brand up to millions of potential customers. We were just talking about tracking things like the Facebook bot that has that we actually just recently implemented that I also have engaged with when I place an order with Everlane allows you to be kept up to date in real time via Facebook Messenger on your order confirmation, um, whether your order is shipped, where en route it is to you, when it's been delivered to you, and then the same thing potentially um, if you place a return or exchange. And mobile experience, like as it continues to be improved across all different e-commerce retailers is going to do great things for the industry, but also create a lot of competition and who can get the better experience. It definitely opens that up. And yeah, I'm really excited just to get your perspective on mobile just because of how focused you are on humanizing the experience and how personalized the experience can get with a mobile device because of how tapped in it is. It's really just a remote for your life. So is there specific things that you see mobile doing for the different user journey throughout the experience uh, that you're most excited for? So I know we talked about returns being like a specific point in that user journey. Is there something, another point, or maybe it is that one that you think mobile is going to enable and, and provide the biggest impact right away? Well, I think how how Instagram is being used right now is going to be a huge part of that. Instagram has done incredible things for, for brands and has opened up product to millions of viewers. You know, you kind of take people off of Safari or whatever their mobile browser is and you put them on a social channel. Mm-hmm. And Instagram is an awesome channel for a brand to really tell their story, not just through their product, but like through behind the scenes views of whatever shoots that you're on, like when you're shooting product, what your office maybe looks like, like who's on your team, 
we try to Instagram like any marketing events or like parties that we throw at our retail stores, it really gives you like a whole picture. It can give you a whole picture of like what a brand is like. We have a lot of customers that come to us because a friend passed along our Instagram account. So it's a great way to humanize your brand. And, um, and I think that as Instagram becomes more of a, of a marketing tool, it's going to be that much bigger of a player in the, not only the retail industry, but probably for influencers and bloggers and artists and other people who have small businesses. So what do you think about Snapchat and this new social channel that allows you to engage where you can capture really short moments, but that are a little bit more immersive because now you have the audio and, and it's in the video. It's, it's a little bit different application. How would you see that would kind of affect your approach to Instagram? It's so funny you should ask about Snapchat because I I actually don't have a Snapchat account. <laughs> and um, I've never, I think maybe I had one for about a week and it bothered me so much to be getting sna- like a hundred snaps a day from my friends. Yeah. I would be like, I can't, this is too much for me to handle. I can't do this. But Snapchat is an incredible tool for people to learn about like all kinds of different things. Like the news, my cousin like keeps up with the news through Snapchat. And I think being able to be fully immersed, like in a live moment through video mm-hmm. is awesome. Like I could see us potentially like one thing that we're trying to, that we're thinking about on the customer experience end is compiling um, section in our help portal on our website for garment care. And I could totally see us doing, I like, can't imagine Taylor Stitch would get on Snapchat anytime soon, but I could totally see us like doing instructional garment care clips on Snapchat. Uh, like we release a waxed jacket and we say, get a stain on your jacket. Like here's how you rub it out. But Snapchat can do a lot of really cool things to make people feel really included in what's actually happening with the brand and the people who propel that brand forward. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, that the first place you jump when you think of Snapchat is a formative, you know, educational use. So that's that's really cool. And when we're thinking about omnichannel and these these various social channels, you know, how do we create that that cohesive message? But then really how do we utilize each of these channels to their full extent so that it's really unique for that channel, giving giving the user a reason and, and a greater value of following you at that channel because you're able to leverage a unique experience there that you can't get in another channel. So that was really, it was really cool that that's, that's kind of a first use case you jump to. Have you considered like Periscope and some of these other apps that, that are coming out and, and how that might play into a, a different strategy? Uh, to be honest, I've never heard of Periscope. So I'm going to use my favorite tool, Google. <laughs> Really quick look. Yeah, Periscope is really cool. It's so it, it can integrate with Twitter. Twitter bought them. It's a live video streaming service, so it's strictly live. Like you broadcast live, and uh, it's a, and you can capture those videos, and it'll post right to Twitter, and, it, and then it gives someone the ability to go back and replay that. Or if you're actually live, someone through Twitter can tap into it and. Through this platform, people can be liking you. They can be uh, asking you questions, saying, hey, so that you can almost be doing a live Q&A while on this platform. Very cool. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah. So one of the things that we're actually 
doing right now is we're setting up Periscope for this podcast and for other things so that when I'm doing this, I'm able to record this and, and, and host these live so that if any viewers want to ask questions, we can do live Q&A through the podcast. And it's almost like having like a live YouTube channel and then you can use that content for YouTube. So it's, yeah, definitely something worth checking out. I think uh, a lot of brands are, are starting to dabble in it, but no one's quite figured it out. A guy that I follow, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, who owns VaynerMedia, a big marketing agency, he just dominates social media. And uh, he's the guy that got, kind of got me on it. But it's definitely worth checking out. I will for sure. So in, in kind of wrapping up this, this main section, what are the biggest innovations and technologies that you're most excited about for your industry? Well, I'm really excited to see how mobile experiences can be improved. Like we've talked a lot about that. There are some pretty slick things going on on desktop, but a better mobile experience can mean just a more personal shopping experience Um, on a device that you're holding right in your hand doing whatever it is that you're doing. But on a business side, I'm eager to see how technology will develop real-time analytics for ongoing sales and uh, customer engagement. Um, I think that data is going to be so important to brands creating a better user experience ultimately if they know what the customer's journey looks like, how quickly they're going through it, where they might diverge, where they might struggle. So being able to see and acquire data in real time would be really cool. Gotcha. So it's almost like a, because uh, there's a lot of data out there and, and we can tap into it, but having a, a more practical use case of it and maybe like an easier dashboard that you can sift through it and understand it, but it, it happens so instantaneously. Yeah. We love using Lumiere. Like we get a lot of insight as to what our customers sort of buying patterns are. And uh, Lumiere is a great, like the interface is awesome. It enables us to really easily see what's going on in whatever segments of our customer base we choose to look at. Very cool. I've never heard of that, so I'm going to check that out. And that's something I'll link in the show notes for our listeners to check out as well. And so, uh, Mina, we're about to jump into the rapid fire question round. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) Cool. So it's just right off the top of the dome, um, really quick getting through these questions. And then uh, we'll, we'll say goodbye. So when you think of, because you're in a position to where you get to run this team and, and you're part of the strategy, but then also responsible for the execution, would you put more emphasis on the idea or the execution? And then how would you weigh each and why? Gut reaction is idea. I think you start with a great idea. And, but to give that idea real shape, you've got to hustle like then slowly people see how cool your idea is, like what you're doing to perpetuate that. And they want to be on your team. And then some real muscle can push an idea forward. But I mean, an idea is nothing without that muscle behind it. And blind execution is just a waste of time, but a little more poignant than the chicken and the egg. An (laughs) idea is kind of what has to come first. Got that. Yeah, I love that. I love that phrase, the blind execution. And so if you you were to weigh them? How would you weigh idea in comparison to execution? You know, I think it's 60-40. I don't think one so greatly outweighs the other. Okay. And so what has been your biggest learning lesson on your journey in retail so far? Listen to your customer. They'll tell you everything you need to know about what they want. 
How about uh, your favorite business, marketing, or digital book? Uh, Delivering Happiness by the Zappos CEO, Tony Hsieh. Can you give us a, a quick one or two sentences of, of what it's about and why you like it? Uh, it's about how to make your customer happy. And I, or I loved reading it because a CEO of a, a ginormous company like Zappos is so deeply entrenched and cares so much about like all millions of the company's customers being happy. And there's a lot of time and data and energy that's been dedicated to a very formulaic, holistic approach to making a customer happy. It's a great read. I mean, anybody who's in business should read it. Great. I'll definitely link to that. And then how about your favorite digital resource? I kind of touched on it before, but Google search engine of all things, like <laughs> a curious person's best friend. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> um, and then lastly, what is your favorite mobile app and why? Uh, Visco, actually. It's an awesome tool if you're into iPhone photography, which I am. And so for those that don't use Visco, give us your, your quick one to two sentence pitch. Visco is based in Oakland, California. So for me in the Bay Area, I kind of I feel personally connected to it because their office is right across the bridge. But Visco offers like hundreds of amazing photo filters and some light photo editing qualities, but they also are very community oriented and showcase a lot of people who are really active, like just within the Visco app. So it's an, I mean, just for photo editing, but also for the greater photography community in general on mobile, an awesome app to immerse yourself in. Well, sweet. Well, thank you for these recommendations. And to conclude, you know, what is the coolest thing that you're working on right now that you want everyone to know about? There are a lot of things, but uh, I'm working with our marketing director on building a community of Taylor Stitch influencers. We're in the really early stages of this, so I won't give too many specifics, but there are so many cool photographers, athletes, um, like vintners who we've worked with in developing our collections continually that have become really close friends of the brand. And our brand story is really a compilation of so many other stories put together. And we want to talk about these really amazing people who influence us and introduce them to our greater audience. So we're working on making that a its own part of our website, but really early stages again, and it'll start to take some shape later this summer. So keep an eye out. Very cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch about that. That'd be awesome to share as, as that evolves. For sure. You know, if, if we want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to reach you? Well, I'm like a professional at responding to emails in a very tight time frame. <laughs> so email is the best way. Um, it's Mina at TaylorStitch.com, M-I-N-A. Awesome. And yeah, I will definitely link to that. All right, we'll check out Taylor Stitch. Mina, thank you so much for the lesson day. It was uh, great to have you on and an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Jordan. It was so much fun. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join us next week for a conversation with Joe Blecka, Global Director of Product Development at Stance Socks. We're going to dig into Joe's journey through 16 years in the outerwear market and working through extreme sports and on collections like Olympics U.S. Snowboard Team, the Sean White Collection, Nike SB, and Jordan, just to name a few. We'll take a closer look at how Joe is able to make a product as an imaginative, expressive, and uncommonly cool as the people who wear it. 
And I'm always happy to be a resource in any way that I can. So visit EmergeMobileFirst.com to reach out to me directly or for additional insights, resources, and bonus tools that can help catapult your organization to the next level. Until next time, think mobile first.